This is Comms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Well, before we uh, get into the news of the week, this week's podcast, um, just wanted to talk about uh, our lead story in um, Friday, 22nd of July's Comms Day. Big, big story. Um, basically, Telstra has gone in with all guns blazing um, on the National Broadband Network. And, and in the context of a consultation around its special access variation undertaking um, that the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, is holding. Um, it's put a submission in. And, and not only has it criticised the specifics of what NBN's after, which is basically steadily increasing prices on an inflation plus X basis over the next two decades or so, but it's really, really torn to shreds. Um, a lot of the history of, of, of the NBN and a lot of the particularly what it calls the inefficient costs baked into NBN as a result of poor governance and political decisions over the years. And to give you an example of what it's talking about, the, the flip-flops over the years and the network technology mix, you know, going from fibre to the premises to fibre to the node to fibre to the curb and not going to use Optus HFC and then we weren't going to use Optus HFC. Um Incentives to uh, to overspend created by the setting of below par investment return targets, and a, a regulatory regime that entitles MBN to recover many costs about direct relevance to the provision of its service, such as its its uh, success payments to Telstra and Optus to cease network competition. So it's it's a big one, and it's the first major submission out in this process. And you can expect submissions from TPG and Optus and Focus and. And presumably Aussie broadband and compete and so on to be saying pretty similar things over the next few days. So NBN is going to be under a lot of pressure and at, at a at a at a difficult time for them. They when they've got a new government and and uh, as as we reported this week, um, a new government uh, where the department held a meeting with the five leading RSPs a few weeks back and and told them, hey, there's a new new game in town. Uh, assumptions have changed. The goalposts are shifting. <laughs> And NBN's got to sort of somehow make some sense of that and uh, get, get some certainty um, going in, in, in its regulatory regime. Because if, if it can't reach some kind of accommodation with the ACCC and the government, then it will just get directly regulated. And, and that could cause some big, big problems down the track. In fact, the NBN itself was formed because Telstra was directly regulated by the ACCC, didn't like it, went on an investment strike. <laughs> so um, will lessons be learned this time? It remains to be seen. Anyway, let's have a look at the, the week that was in um, telecommunications news. And we have the executive editor of Comms Day, Mr. Rowan Pierce with us. How are you, Rowan? I'm good. It's Friday. It's exciting. My God, it is exciting, and I, I, I never cease to be amazed how exciting our, our lives are here at Comms Day. Um, so what have you got for us this week, Rowan? I'm hearing things about a Spectrum auction. Yeah, so th this was uh, one from earlier on in the week. Obviously, um, it actually it actually took place quietly last week originally, and then the ACMA made a bit more noise about it this week. Um, so they've, they've penciled in Q3 2023, 2023, I should say, for um, auction of spectrum in the 3.4 and 3.7 gig bands. Obviously, this is very kind of like desirable spectrum for 5G and actually includes the so-called kind of urban excise um, spectrum. 
So what's kind of interesting is there's going to be spectrum licenses in the 3.7 to 3.8 range in regional metro areas, while 3.4 to 3.5 is going to be a bit different. You'll have spectrum licenses in the regional areas and then and major regional centres, but then apparatus licenses in the metro areas. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. There's a deadline of uh, July 2027 for incumbents to clear out of the band, um, which is probably a bit slower than the MNOs would like. Um, one one really interesting thing about this, though, I think, is that it's actually the first time that the kind of um, since the Radcom reforms in 2020 that the the ACMA steered the ship. I guess you could put it that way. It, um, it, it, those reforms basically meant that the communications minister, Paul Fletcher at the time, uh, set out a kind of policy statement saying this is the government's objectives for the band. Obviously, objectives are kind of a lot of 5G. And it's up to the ACMA to deal with the kind of like finer practical details of like getting that band to the market. So it's kind of a landmark moment for the ACMA in that respect, I think. I guess the other interesting thing is one issue that you've covered quite extensively is the kind of concern about like interference with altimeters at the top end of that range. ACMA has basically said that they're going to keep looking at the issue and kind of come to some resolution so we don't see planes crashing out of the sky or um, in the worst case scenario. Yeah, just just to um, I guess elaborate on that. I wrote something about this um, a couple of weeks back. Um, the the issue is, is that a lot of planes have pretty old altimeters and which aren't terribly well shielded against interference. You you, you might remember back in the days of GSM, when when whenever your three G phone rang, it would interfere with your stereo, <laughs> even though they're completely different frequencies. Um, you hear the clicking sound and and. This is the sort of thing which they're concerned about. And what 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 was extraordinary with the consultation on this spectrum um, allocation was that, that almost every man and his dog in the aviation industry put a submission in. I mean, we had the pilots and the airports association and the, the civil safety authority and 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 uh, managements of various airports and and um, Boeing, who of course are a major player in aviation or, or putting submissions in saying, look, we, we, we're not directly aware of evidence that there's interference, but there might be. And there, there were one or two examples. There was an example they cited from Estonia from a few years ago where um, there, there were 3G and 4G towers all around the airport. And, and a lot of planes reported that um, their altimeters, when they descended to land, would, would suddenly give them a, a reading that was up to 700 to 1,000 meters incorrect at a certain point of descent. And, of course, you know, in a certain time and place, that could lead to disaster. So the, the aviation people say, look, let's apply the precautionary principle, um, tilt the antennas downwards around airports, uh, maybe have a reduced power, maybe have even have some exclusion zones in some areas. The, the, the mobile industry... Uh, well, too, you know, quite belligerent in its response, um, pretty much denying there's a problem and saying, well, the burden of proof is on aviation to, to show there is a problem. Um, and uh, was, was seemed to be quite upset that the aviation sector had actually even mentioned this as an issue. <laughs> so um, so let's see what, what ACMA does there. Um I'd say it's pretty likely they'll probably come down on the side of the aviation people because that's what government departments tend to do. They do tend to err on the side of safety and, and, and this sort of thing. So it's going to be a really interesting one to see. Anyway, moving on, Rowan. More telecom. That's what we're all about here, more and more. More telecom. Doing a great deal, again, with the CBA. Tell us all about it. 
you're on fire today, Graham. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very interesting. Like, I think I think one issue um, with the kind of NBN is that retail broadband has kind of got extremely boring, really, with everyone based on the kind of the same speed tiers, obviously, just kind of like variations of the retail price, but not much else going on. Obviously, everyone just offers unlimited data. So that's why I think the more the more CBA partnership is quite interesting because it really is selling like retail broadband um products in a different way in this case it's actually squarely aimed at the um the small business market so uh the latest kind of offer they've got now is like 30 percent off a business nbn service for 12 months plus uh kind of some associated offers like a free router if you opt in for a 20 month contract also a steep kind of discount on fixed phone services and again free free phone hardware is kind of an offer so I guess like kind of a great deal if you're a small business, you already have a CBA uh, bank account, it'll be extremely compelling offer. Um, CBA reckons that businesses, average eligible business uh, could save 2300 bucks, which is nothing to sneeze at, particularly in these kind of days of like, you know, uh, uh, belt tightening. Um, and uh, I, I guess the, the other thing that struck me, like I looked this up earlier, so CBA has 15.9 million customers which is like a huge addressable base for this kind of like more telecom cba partnership and also very kind of low cost to actually market intensively to that um that customer base like i know you're saying earlier graham you've got multiple kind of like uh, contacts from cba about this deal yeah i i have actually and um I, i'm a i'm a cba customer this is probably too much information for comms day live listeners knowing what my personal banking <laughs> <laughs> arrangements are but um i'm a cba customer both for residential and for the business of comms day which is one of the hats i wear here and uh, when they came out with their residential deal um you know I, I have an app on my phone and it was it was just plugging messages about the residential deal and of course i i'm a i'm a sme customer of cba as well in the past 24 hours i've started receiving communications about the sme um um package here and it's, it's interesting because actually funnily enough right now i'm i'm we're we're moving office shortly and i'm 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 all ears to special broadband offers on sme for smes and and what they're offering is incredibly attractive and i've got to say i've got to say um this is a, a pretty good package they're offering and and pretty market leading um the other telcos really uh need to watch out yeah, I, I think the other thing is, I mean, like, um, what's interesting to me is because obviously, like, yeah, moving offices, it's a particular, you know, inflection point where you consider these kind of services. Like the other, the more, um, before this, the more CBA offer um, was for home loan customers of CBA. Obviously, take out a home loan, eligible customer, you get 36 months free. Again, that kind of point where you're actually looking at your kind of service providers and thinking about this thing. So it's just like this whole um, new kind of opportunity to sell broadband in a particular way, which I don't. I don't think we've necessarily seen, at least on this scale before. So very interesting to see how it pans out for um, more, I mean, obviously, like, wonderful deal from their kind of perspective. Yeah, just a point there, and also about the sort of psychology of marketing and where you get marketed to. Um, you, most of the broadband advertising I see is all part of the big morass of, you know, banners on newspaper homepages and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It gets lost in the mix a bit. But when, when you're getting a broadband offer in the context of, say, your banking app, or, or when you're engaging with your bank online or physical, physically, it's less cluttered. It gets your attention more. It's a diff- different mode of, of receiving information. And I think that's actually part of the appeal of it, that o- often marketing messages succeed or fail 
on the basis of the environment in which they are made. And pe- people are more engaged with messages when they are doing their banking. And that's, that's where I, I think the secret sauce might be on this one. Yeah, well, I, I remember actually um, around the time before CBA even announced the more deal, but they were talking about partnering with an RSP. They were saying they wanted to take advantage of the fact that they had such a high level of engagement with their digital banking platform. So it's kind of like that, that like, like you say, it's a very powerful channel. It's also an extremely cheap channel for them because they've already built it. So, I mean, kind of like an amazing you know, opportunity to market. Like, obviously, they've got to deal with our Amber for Power as well, which is like another great example of like a service provider that fits there. Well, indeed, that's the case, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a lovely weekend. Cheers. Well, moving on and taking a look at the week that was, I've got Simon Ducks, the chief editor of Comms Day. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Now, first off, um, lead story earlier this week about Starlink. Whenever we run a story about Starlink, it's it's, um, very popular with our readers. It's it's definitely a a network and a service that is a source of intense fascination for everyone else in the telecom industry. So um, what, what was their big news this week, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They're certainly leading on the Leo front in terms of uh, capturing all of the headlines. And we wanted to take a bit of a look at how the network rollout was going out. So we had a look at how many ground stations they were up to. Uh, If you recall, uh, probably about this time last year, they were looking at around 13 sites. But now they've uh, got 19 across Australia. So we've pretty much got the whole of New Zealand and all of the southern half of Australia is now covered with Starlink services. Obviously, they're not allowed to operate in some of the metro areas uh, uh, due to their licensing and uh, interference as well. But uh, they're also looking to expand uh, to do the whole of Australia uh, in 2023 as well. Now, uh, at the same time, the most recent thing they've updated is uh, a new uh, service, maritime service, which essentially is going to be available around uh, a big swathe of the uh, Australian coastline as well. It's quite an expensive service if you compare it to uh, the consumer and uh, even the business service that they have. You're looking at around $5,000 US dollars per month. But with this, you get uh, two terminals and uh, a 350 megabit download speed. And the reason they're doing that is obviously they're attracting uh, to uh, hit a particular boat market, which is a an actual vertical sector. It's not necessarily for you or I to use uh, unless you've got a little bit of scare, uh, spare cash on that front. Now, uh, the thing with... Uh, we had a look around also that uh, to see what sort of companies were picking it up, and that was the interesting thing is, although there's been a lot of noise about what's happening on the consumer front, we're seeing more and more companies uh, picking this up, particularly in the mining uh, exploration center where they're using uh, Starlink terminals out and about. Uh, and uh, so I think we're going to see a little bit more of that uh, in terms of uh, enterprise uh, use cases. 
But uh, one of the things that's a little bit of a cloud on the horizon uh, for Starlink is the fact that we're already seeing in America that uh, some of the users are getting some congestion on the network. Uh, Now, admittedly, the network isn't fully uh, built out as yet. Uh, But, you know, this is going to be an ongoing thing with Starlink because they're in a little bit of a race here in terms of building out their network. They've got 2,800 satellites to date uh, that already have... (coughs) more launches uh, this year compared to the whole of 2021. And uh, they have regulatory approval for 12,000 satellites now and have requested another 30,000. Now, if you, you weigh that in uh, with the cost of it, uh, and the particular price levels that they uh, put the service at, it's no wonder that all current users or 98% of current users are located in the West. And uh, if you think about uh, the expense of this service, uh, here's an interesting uh, stat for you. In the last six months, Starlink's removed 42 satellites before they've reached five years of operation. And that doesn't even include the 38 that were recently lost in a geomagnetic storm. Wow, that's interesting, especially with the prospect of uh, more of those such storms as the Daily Express described today, a canyon of fire currently coming from the sun towards it. It's interesting what you said there about um, the maritime stuff, because to date, Starlink, in a sense, has created a new consumer category or new market category for its service, something that didn't really exist before, which is sort of a a high-speed broadband option for people outside of cities. But with a maritime service, it's coming in right up against what Imarsat does, which, you know, which is their bread and butter product. But also in the Australian context, uh, at our at Comms Day's recent Australasia Satellite Forum, NBN's um, ranking satellite person Jason Ashton told us that they were looking at offering a maritime service for you know the, the littoral zone, which is basically the sort of up to the continental shelf where all the pleasure craft go, and that's obviously a pretty lucrative market. So Starlink is now transforming from being a, a sort of object of prurient fascination to a direct competitor to people's core businesses. I, I find that quite fascinating. Now, talk, talking of, um, of, of people doing things and heading into new markets and, and, and so on, VicTrack has something to do with trains in the state of Victoria, doing some interesting things in the fibre area. Tell us about it, Simon. That's right, Graham. We caught up with uh, Andrew Peel, uh, the group manager commercial, to have a chat about a new expression of interest that, uh, that they'd put out to the market. And uh, it's an interesting uh, step uh, from what we've seen from uh, these guys. Obviously, they have fibre assets going out across the state. But one of the key things that they're actually finding is that, uh, in particularly in regional Victoria, Every now and then when they're doing business cases uh, to do a particular fibre installation, it comes up that uh, it is showing that potentially the investment is too much for the return on investment purely for their own uh, purposes. And uh, as uh, Andrew pointed out to me, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, co-seeding that can happen if they actually work very closely with the industry and effectively pool uh, some of these rollouts. So what they've done is they've uh, put this EOI out and they're looking for telcos to co-fund fibre network builds. And, uh, you know, they've got plenty of infrastructure um, plans at the moment, including, uh, uh, he mentioned to me, uh, big uh, infrastructure plans around Bendigo, for example. And uh, the interesting thing with this is that they're also 
looking uh, with the uh, carriers that are going to potentially uh, partner with them that they would look to go outside the normal rail corridors as well, uh, depending on the business case. He's keeping a pretty open mind on the sorts of uh, deals that they would look to do. He was suggesting that, you know, it could be anything along the lines of um, giving uh, fibre optic strands uh, within a cable over a long term on an IRU, uh, or it could be um, some sort of just a, a straightforward dark fibre arrangement. But uh, what he's hoping to do on the back end of this EOI is uh, get the expression from the telcos that are interested in this sort of building, and then they'll do an RFP. And what he wants to do is build up a little group of telcos that when these sort of opportunities come on, he can turn to them, and then they can look at this co-investment. And the interesting thing, as we've seen with a lot of the data center investment, particularly around some of the uh, edge players, uh, they're going to be interested in this sort of rollout, as will anybody rolling out 5G networks as well, because this could be an interesting way to actually get a little bit more uh, access to uh, fiber networks in regional Victoria. Okay, interesting stuff. Now, just before we finish up with the podcast today, um, we ran another story today, which was surprisingly got no pickup in the financial press. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure why, but NBNCO is issuing $2 billion worth of promissory notes. Um, not not, not, not a, um, a small thing at all. Through the four major banks, ANZ, ZBA, NAB and Westpac, um, Fitch and Moody's have both assigned uh, pretty decent uh, credit ratings um, to, to NBN on the back of this, largely reflecting their government ownership. And that's what's interesting about this whole process. N- NBN is... is now, with this, got about $29 billion of debt it's managed to raise. And in the AA range, or um, which is only two notches off a sovereign government, not, not, um, not bad at all. And what was interesting about this for me is some of the explanations around, around this. So, for example, if, if it, NBN didn't have the government support it has, it would actually be ranked in the junk bond category, apparently two notches off investment grade. Um, so that, that government ownership is, is, is funny because it actually gives NBN the ability to raise private debt at a cost way, way lower than commercial competitors um, can do. But, but what, what is interesting is that despite all the turmoil around the regulatory regime that we're seeing in Australia and, and that we talked about at the top of this program – the rating agencies feel pretty comfortable with NBN. They're saying, oh, look, it's, it's going to have nearly 10 million, 9.7 million active connections by 2025. About three quarters of the market will be connected to it. ARPUs are going to go up. EBITDA margins are going to go up. It's got fiber rolling out. It's going to do a lot better in the business market. So very, very bullish expectations. And I, I just thought a good way to end this podcast, um, given at the top of this podcast we did it's very much present a contrarian view of what NBN is doing. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. That's a pleasure, Graham. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time.